Well, hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Easter at Mountain 2021. We finally made it. Can you believe it? We want to say welcome especially to you if you're joining us. Maybe you're in your car, maybe you're uh, at home or at one of our campuses. And today, for the very first time, we get to say welcome to our brand new launching today Aberdeen campus. It's, it's, been a, it's, been an amazing, it's been an amazing run uh, toward, toward the launch of this campus. And honestly, it's not been very easy. Uh, there's been many challenges along the way. There have been some setbacks. We had, uh, we had building delays. We had you know, firewalls, unexpected stuff come up, delays with staffing and all kinds of things. COVID threw us all these curveballs. But you know what? It's not our campus. It's Jesus' campus, and you can't keep a good man down. So here we are on Resurrection Day. Aberdeen campus is rising up as well, and we just can't wait to see what God does. So God bless you all at Aberdeen. Anyone else who's going to be heading up there in the coming weeks to join in the fun and what's happening up there, we're really, really excited. Because, man, we just we love uh, a good comeback story like we're already seeing there. And I want to talk to you about that today. Uh, everybody. Everybody loves a good comeback story, right? Whether it's sort of a rags to riches or last to first kind of a thing, we love that underdog fighting their way to the top, don't we? Uh, someone sent me a grainy little video, it wasn't even a good video, of these guys running around a track, you know, and, the, and this one guy, he, he's in the middle of the pack, but he falls flat on his face, just like, bam, biffs horribly, and everyone just flies by him, and he's out of the race. But then, you know, he gets up, he brushes himself off, and he starts flying like this guy is screaming down the track, and I, I start to get a little lump in my throat, you know, because, like, you want to believe the impossible, right? And he starts, he starts catching up to these guys, just like gaining on them, and they're coming around the last turn of the track, and he's picking guys off one by one, and they're leaning. He comes down, he's got one guy left, they're coming down, they're both pushing as hard as they can, straining toward the finish line. One last breath, he throws his chest across the finish line, and the guy that fell down wins the race. Why, why am I crying in my phone? Because everybody loves a comeback story. We, we just... We just do, whether it's a buzzer beater in, in March Madness or, or someone that overcomes a horrible disease or hostages that are finally released. We love a comeback story. Well, whether it's Rocky boxing out of a wheelchair in Rocky 15, it doesn't matter. We're suckers for it. We love it. And, and that's, why, that's why I went nuts on an airplane a few years ago. Um, let me explain. A lot of you know, I, I, I love my Minnesota Vikings, and we were having a great season and had made it to the playoffs to the divisional round against the New Orleans Saints. This was gonna be our year, you know? Now, uh, some friends here from Mountain had uh, given Carla and me um, these beautiful tickets to go uh, to Greece to celebrate the 20 years that we, are, we were marking at Mountain at that time. And it was awesome, except that the trip there um, coincided. The flights hit exactly the same time as that big game. It's like, okay, well, so we packed up and we're watching the game on our phones, like in, in the terminal before. You know, I got my game face on and I am, I am just all about this. This is a serious business. We board the plane and I'm able to get it on the plane there. So I'm watching on that little screen in the seat back, you know, and then the plane takes 
takes off and the lights go down and everybody starts sleeping, but I'm glued into this game just trying to bite my lip and things were going great. We were up 17-0 and it looks like we're gonna cruise to victory, but then the Saints start scoring and they score again and they score again and they score again and as the game starts winding down to the end, with just a few seconds left, the Saints go ahead, 24-23. There's only 25 seconds left. We got 70 yards to go. People in the stands, they start heading to their cars. I'm just like so mad. I'm just like, oh, there's no hope and no time for, for this anymore. So what happens in the game is, is they, they have three, you know, first down, nothing. Second down, nothing. Third down, the quarterback's name's Case Keenum. He just heaves up a ball like a prayer. And, and somehow, somehow this guy, Stephon Diggs, catches the ball, the tackler whiffs, and he, you want, just give it a listen, take a look. Vikings at their own 39, it's third down. Three receivers right, feel, and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side, caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God, oh, my God, 30, no 10, Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis Marathon. Step on Diggs, and the Minnesota Vikings have lost up on the New Orleans Saints. It's a 61-yard It gets me every single time. That is an amazing comeback. It's the Minneapolis miracle, right? I, I, I'm on that plane and, and everyone's quiet and, and I, I'm about ready to explode. I can't say a thing. So I finally climb over a bunch of people and just go into the laboratory so I can scream my head off, and which I do. And I'm sure everyone was kind of wondering what in the world's going on in there because all they can hear in the bathroom is, oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and the flight attendant knocked on the door and she says, is everything all right in there? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. So that's my story. I don't care what color of purple you root for. That's a great comeback story. And we love it. We love it because I think it's like hardwired into us to love it. It's, the, it's, it's something about the nature of reality, about like the way God is in the world that makes us long for and love when a comeback happens, it's called hope, isn't it? And you know what? I think part of the reason we love a comeback story is because all of us know that we all need a comeback story. We all do. Let's admit it. We, we, all, we all struggle in different ways at different times, but we all do. Louis Louis's like waking up at 3 a.m. every single night and he, he just like feels like he's going to die, like he's suffocating. He's got these panic attacks. They're just crushing him. He needs some kind of a change. Maybe, maybe you've fallen on your face somehow. You're discouraged with your dating life or sick of being lonely and you need a fresh start of some kind. Or, or maybe something bad has happened in a relationship. There's conflict, and you need a comeback. Maybe your marriage needs a comeback. It's getting old and cold. Or it's a rough patch maybe with school, or it could be a diagnosis or an addiction or an accident. I don't know. We all need a comeback. It could be a mountain of debt, or it could be that you've got all kinds of money, but you just feel empty. 
Maybe something was done to you. Someone left you. Someone, someone died. I don't know. We all need that comeback, don't we? Whether we blew it as a parent, it was a DUI maybe, or we got kicked out, flunked out, spent some time behind bars, slept around, uh, compromised our own moral convictions, disappointed ourselves. The regrets of life can really pile up on us, can't they? And the failures can weigh us down like a big old bag of rocks. And after a year of this whacked out pandemic like we've had, we all know what it's like to just need a comeback. So as you think about your life, I I wonder what kind of comeback do you need? What kind of comeback do you need? I would, I would encourage you to pay attention to where you're frustrated right now. Or pay attention to where you're scared or stuck. Where, where do you feel broken a little bit? Because that's, those are clues for where you might need your comeback. Today, we're celebrating on Resurrection Weekend. Good news for people like us who need a fresh start, who need to be reminded that when your dreams go up in smoke, when you fall flat on your face, when there's no time left on the clock, and you really need a miracle, don't count God out of your equation because it turns out, it turns out God is in the business of taking hopeless situations and making incredible comeback stories out of them. That's what God does. It's what he does best. In fact, that's what he did through Jesus, isn't it? That's what his whole story was about. Jesus, think about it. He lived the ultimate comeback story. That's why on Easter, we, we, we talk about a lot of things, but it's all about the resurrection. It's like the hinge point of history. It's like the focal crux, everything moment for us, for the world. Because it reminds us that the one we follow is not dead And that changes everything. He lived a perfect life, but suffered a brutal death, caught in the crosshairs of that Roman and Jewish political schema. He he was arrested, beaten, put on a cross, and then he died in public humiliation. They took his blood-caked body down from the cross, put him in that tomb, sealed it over with a 2,000-pound stone, right? Talk about down and out. But then, first day, nothing. Second day, nothing. But on the third day, at just the right time, that heart on that slab started beating again. And, and there was blood going through those veins again and the cells started firing again. And the next thing you know, he's sitting up and then he's standing up and he's pulling off those, those grave clothes. And, and, and friends, if you get up out of your grave and you, you stand up out of your coffin and you smile at everyone who's gathered for your funeral, that's a pretty good comeback story. That is exactly what we celebrate on Easter is that this Jesus who died walked out of a tomb, showed everyone his nail-scarred hands, and they celebrated and they were in awe at the ultimate comeback. But it's not just that he came back to life. It's that it's what he put to death once and for all. Because when Jesus rose up from death, he didn't just kick open the door of his own tomb. Jesus opened the grave for every single one of us who could now have 
the same ultimate comeback from, from sin and from shame and from guilt and from darkness and grief and separation from God. It's the ultimate comeback because Jesus defeated hell and death for us. And the reason that we celebrate it today is, is because that same power that raised up Jesus from the dead is alive and at work and unleashed in the world today. And Jesus promises that it can change your story, not just for eternity, but now, today. Jesus' resurrection victory isn't just about his comeback. It's about your comeback and all the comebacks we need. Which is why, of course, Jesus lived his comeback story in the first place. Jesus didn't just come to live an incredible comeback story. Jesus gives incredible comeback stories. That's the whole purpose for his coming. So that every person who trusts in him can come back from the jaws of, of sin and the penalty of death that it demands. Which is why someone has said, there is no sin, no sickness, no cancer, no reversal of fortunes, no curse, no heartache, nothing that is greater than Jesus. With Jesus, we can come back from anything. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 6. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's your comeback. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, and we will be, we are, even now, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Resurrection life, abundant, eternal, everlasting life that infuses into this present moment. Friends, don't misunderstand. Easter is about resurrection, but not just Jesus' resurrection, our resurrection too, and the same power that allows us to walk in newness of life today. And all that doesn't just kick in after you die. It's for right here and right now. There's, no, there's probably no better example than what happened with Peter. Did you, did you hear what happened with Peter? Let me tell you how Peter desperately needed a comeback story. I, can, I kind of relate to Peter. I mean, well, for one thing, he was a big, strong, strapping guy, big, burly, broad shoulders, ripped, you know, six-pack abs. So just think of, picture me, except with sandals, and that's Peter, right? Actually, I traded the, the six-pack for, for a two-liter down here, but, but you get the idea. Actually, that's not why I relate to Peter. The reason I think I relate to Peter, and maybe you do too, is because Peter made a lot of promises, and he didn't always keep them. He didn't always come through, even though he meant well. He was, he was a big talker. He, he was strong. He was confident. And a lot of times he did come through. He was a leader, a gung-ho disciple, right? When, when Jesus says one time to the whole group, who do you say that I am? Peter didn't wait around to see what others saw. You know, he didn't take an opinion poll. He's the one who spoke up for all of them and said with a loud voice, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And, and Jesus said, that is so rock solid, right? Peter, I'm going to change your nickname to Peter, which means the rock. Not like Dwayne Johnson, the rock, but like Peter, the rock. You're so solid and firm, and I'm going to build a whole church. I'm going to feed my sheep on that truth. But then, fast forward, 
to the night of the Last Supper where Jesus is there with the rock and some other disciples. Matthew 26, Jesus says, you know, before this night's over, you're all going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. And Peter, the rock, says, oh, no. No, I, I don't know about those other guys. They may all crumble, but not me. I'm the rock. Even if I have to die, I, I'll never, I will, read my lips, Jesus, I will never deny you. And when I read those verses in Scripture, I think of times I've said things similarly. Maybe you can think of times you've made a promise like that to someone or to, to God himself. I won't mess up. I promise. Jesus strangely says, no, Peter, don't be so sure. Verse 34, this very night, he says, before the rooster even crows, like before morning is fully arrived, you will disown me, denying you even know me three times. And later that night, Peter is there when the soldiers grab Jesus and drag him out of the garden. And the crowd, they can smell blood, so they're all following. And Peter blends in. And he kind of, the Bible says, he follows from a distance. He's getting cautious and scared. You know, we've all been distancing for a while, haven't we? What I've noticed is that some of us are also following Jesus at a distance. This year of COVID's been hard on us, spiritually some of us. I think it's drawn some people closer, but some, maybe, are you one of the people that's trying to follow Jesus from a distance? Like Peter? Peter blends in a little bit, tries to just warm himself by a, a crackling fire. And around that fire, he's asked three questions that change the rest of his life. A servant girl sees him and comes up to him and says, says, hey, weren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I actually don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Starts warming his hands, just looking away, trying to, trying to ignore the whole thing. Another one comes and says, hey, this guy, he was with Jesus for sure. He says, no, no, I don't even, I don't even know that guy. And he begins to sweat one to a third time. Someone yells over, come on, I know, I know you're one of his followers. I, I, your accent's like a dead giveaway, man. And he's like, with that, Peter starts cussing and strings out a bunch of expletives and, and cursing and swearing. And I says, I don't know anything about Jesus. <laughs> and the rooster crowed at that moment. And of course, he remembered what Jesus had said. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And that rock, just like that, it crumbled. There are moments when you, you just come face to face with your failure. When there's really no pretending anymore. The rooster crows. It's all clear. The Bible says that he wept bitterly. Because he had done what he said he would never do. And you can just see this grown man, this burly fisherman, just maybe hitting his head, grabbing his beard, and sobs and snot pouring out. The message version says he just cried and cried and cried. There are moments that words 
don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name when you're just trying to live the unimaginable, when you, when you blow it so bad. You break a promise, you ruin trust, you crush hearts, and it's not just Peter. This is our story. It's you, it's me. Roosters crowing every day. We face our failure, and sometimes all you can do is either pretend it didn't happen or just cry. Which is why I, I, I love, <laughs> I love the end of John's gospel, and I want to share it with you because I think you're going to love it too. It's chapter 21, which when you first look at it, doesn't look like it even belongs in the Bible, to be honest, because if it looks like John should just end at the end of chapter 20 because, you know, John's gospel is a story of Jesus' life and it tells, you know, he comes along and he does these miracles and the healing and all this stuff and then all the stories and then, and then it comes down to the end and the garden and the prayers and, and all of that and then they arrest him and they beat him and then they nail him to a cross and then he's dead and they put him in a tomb and John tells the whole story. He's down and out but then one, two, three days later he comes back with the ultimate comeback. Jesus is alive. He's raised again from the dead. He appears to his followers, shows his side. People like Thomas believe it's a beautiful celebration in the end zone moment. And, and it would be a great ending to the gospel right there, the ultimate comeback, the end. But then there's another chapter. It's like you're walking out of the movie theater, celebrating, that was a great, wasn't that a great movie and the role in the credits? And then all of a sudden, another scene comes up. And you're like, what's this about? What's chapter 21 about? What was so important that it had to be concluded after the resurrection? I mean, how do you beat that? Well, it turns out that Jesus has some unfinished business with Peter. And we ought to pay attention to this because it shows us what the living Jesus thinks about the unfinished business that each of us has with him and what he's ready and willing to do about it. See, the last time that the Lord and Peter were together, Peter was standing by a fire, and he had just heard the rooster crowed. And, and Luke says that he and Jesus locked eyes in that awkward moment. And, and he feels that, that come up inside of him. He, the guilt ever since then has been killing him. The failure has been weighing him down like an ulcer. And he's just saying, if only I could do that over again. You ever played the if only game? Like if only I could do that day again. If only I hadn't said that. If only I wouldn't have done that. If only I would have come through like I said. If only I hadn't acted that way. If only I hadn't stolen it. If only I hadn't slept there. If only I hadn't lost my temper. If only, if only, if only. This is what Peter's doing. And finally, he turns to the only thing he knows to turn to. The Bible says, John chapter 21, he says, I'm just going fishing. And a bunch of the guys go with him. I'm going back to fishing. The one thing I knew before I got all caught up in this Jesus stuff. And the Bible says that they, they caught nothing all night. They had a long night of nothing. It feels symbolic to me. They're going back to, they're going back to something to try to make it all go away, and it turns out to be a big, long night of nothing. Jesus, on that same shore of Galilee, had said, Peter, follow me. Drop your nets. I got bigger fish for you to fry. You're going you're gonna to be in the mission. You're going to feed sheep. You're going to fish for people. And Peter said, yes, but then Jesus died, and he thought it was over. And so he says, I'm going fishing. 
back to what I know. And after a long night of nothing, Jesus is there on the shore, and they don't know it's him. Verse 4, he's standing there, and he calls out, Hey, guys, fellows, you haven't caught any fish? No, they yell back, but thanks for asking. In other words, Jesus is saying, hmm. The language there is a, is a sort of a double negative. He's like, he's saying, how's that working out for you, the going back to the fishing thing? How, how's that really working out? When we, when we just go back to what we think we know, we'll just forget about this Jesus thing. How is that working out for you? Jesus wants to know. Life without Jesus is like a long night of nothing. Verse 6, he says, I got an idea. Why don't you throw your net on the right side of the boat? These guys are floating around all over out there. And he's like, yeah, just on the other side of the boat. I mean, mean, if you heard Peter swear at the servant girl, I wonder what he was thinking of saying to the stranger on the beach at that moment. But for whatever reason, they listen to the guy on the shore and they throw the nets on the other side and the net is so full of fish. There's 153 because every fisherman always counts and knows exactly how many sheep, how many fish, and, and and they can't even haul it in. And that's when Peter realizes it's Jesus on the shore and he throws on his, his tunic and he jumps out of the boat into the drink and he swims as fast as he can to the shore and pulls himself up onto the sand and there is Jesus flipping fish on a charcoal fire cooking breakfast. Remember, remember, remember where was Peter the last time he saw Jesus? Standing by a fire, and here they are locking eyes again, but this time he's not filled with guilt. This time Jesus simply says, in verse 12, Peter, would you like some breakfast? I can't preach this. I don't know why, I don't know how to tell you that every time I read that verse in my Bible, Peter, do you want some breakfast? It makes me want to cry because it just seems like the most beautiful gesture of hospitality I can ever imagine from the risen king of the universe. No, no, what do you have to say for yourself, Peter? No rebuke, no condemnation, no shaming or guilting. Just here's this big burly fisherman now soaked and shivering and bedraggled a mess standing in front of Jesus a broken man and Jesus has come back from the dead to find us at our worst to say hi man you look like you're really tired you look like maybe you're sick of this you look like maybe you'd like some breakfast Jesus comes out of the grave to be with us at our worst and at our best and everything in between and to give to us what he gave to Peter, the forgiveness of sins and a relationship that never ends and it doesn't start when you die, it starts right now. That's why we need chapter 21. And Jesus gives three different questions by that fire that would change Peter's life forever. And it's really the same question three times. Peter, yes, Lord? 
Do you love me? Oh, oh, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Yes, it again. Same question. Do you, do you love me? You know that I do. Take care of my lambs. Do you love me? Three times. One, two, three. First down, second down, third down. One for every time that Peter denied the Lord. For each time he messed up, as if to say, you're not disqualified. I want you on my team. We've got work to do. And I don't care so much whether you're perfect or have messed up. I need to know, though, do you love me? And now Peter knows something about his answer needs to be more than just big, brash words. And I love that passage because it tells me that how many ever sins I commit, there's enough grace in the resurrected Jesus to cancel it. Your past doesn't determine your identity and your history doesn't define your destiny. That's why. Did you hear what happened to Brian? I mean, did you hear what happened to Brian? He needed to come back too. Listen to this. I grew up not really knowing who God was. In the year 2005, um, we lost the matriarch of our family, my grandmother. <clears throat> I didn't know how to cope with that. And um, I turned to drugs and alcohol as my safe place. So over the course of uh, a few years, uh, I would wake up and uh, the first thing that would come to my mind was, uh, where am I gonna go tonight? Where am I gonna get that fixed? Where am I gonna, <clears throat> where am I gonna be going to make myself feel good? It was one day on my way to, to work. It was about four days of no sleep and um, kind of nodded off. I don't know how long it was, but I woke up and I was on the inside median. I could have killed someone myself. I kept telling myself I was going to stop, uh, but, but I couldn't. I had no self-control. I was powerless. My grandfather was, was my go-to person. One of the hardest things I've ever had to say in my life <laughs> was to look my grandfather dead in the eyes, tell him that I failed him, that I had a problem, I couldn't stop, and I needed help. <sighs> My grandfather drove me out to Owings Mills to reside at a facility for a month. We had requirements to attend so many meetings a day, and uh, it, it was in those meetings where I hear these speakers coming up, and you know they began to mention Jesus, and they were extremely happy. So after hearing the, the speakers for you know, about three weeks, um, I decided, you know, I couldn't do this on my own, just like everyone had told me. I know I wanted Jesus in my life, and I was out to find him. I was on a mission. Uh, so the first thing I did when I got home, I called the one person I look up to as far as faith, which is my, uh, my little brother. He wanted me to join him and his family at Mountain. I loved it. I loved that there was... I don't know how many times leaving Mountain, I'd look at him and I'd, you know, I'd say, God had this message for me today. It was after uh, about two years of attending Mountain when I really be 
started to become part of the community. And so August 14th, 2008, I attended Welcome to Mountain class. I, I knew before going in that this was the day I was gonna be baptized and, and share with the world my, my love for Christ. When I rose up out of that water, cleansing this, uh, a new start, uh, forgiveness, it was all there. And I, I know that God knew what I wanted the whole time. All I had to do was just come forward and ask. He's, he was always been seeking us our entire life. We, we just needed to, to stop and just ask for help. Just humble yourself and ask for help. The transformation of where I was and what I thought was finding happiness truly wasn't. I can now say that I find my happiness in Jesus. My, my marriage, he, he led me to a, a beautiful woman. If I could sum up the events that have taken place in my life so far, by using one verse from scripture, I would refer to Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock, knock, knock and keep on knocking and that door will be open. God is there, he's waiting. He wants you to come back. The living Christ met Brian at the bottom of a bottle just like he met Peter at a beach. So I wonder, where, where do you need to come back today? Because the truth we're celebrating today is this, that the same power of God that entered into that tomb and brought Jesus out of the grave and out of the depths of hell and out of darkness is the same power that was at work in Peter and forgave him of his sin and gave him a comeback and the same power that's at work in Brian and the same work that's been in life in my life can be at work in your life, there's power to plug into. So where do you need a comeback that only Jesus can provide? And the first, the first place, as we've talked about, is that you're going to die one day. You are. You're going to your grave. And on that day, the only thing you're going to care about, the only thing that matters is not what nice things people might say about you or how much money you leave behind, but where you stand with Christ because that will determine whether your grave is your last stop or whether you're going to have a comeback and move right on past it like Jesus did. We try to cheat death. We try to prolong it and prevent it and postpone it. But Jesus says, you don't have to try to cheat death. I already beat death. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the good news is that Jesus has never seen a tomb he can't bust his way out of. So if you take him into your life and say with Peter, Jesus, I love you and live it out, he'll take your hand and lead you right out of your grave just like he walked out of his. But that comeback isn't just for heaven. It's for right here, right now. And we all need comebacks even today, don't we? So where do you need your comeback? Somebody's asking, man, is my marriage going to make it? Someone's wondering, can I have my heart restored, my hope renewed, my 
My love rekindled. Is there a comeback for me? And my friend, just as Jesus met Peter on the shore that day and asked him that question, he is here, alive, where you are sitting right now, and he's asking you the same question. Locking eyes like you did with Peter over that fire. And his question is the same. Do you love me? Do you love me? And when you say yes to that question, there is no pit of sin, there is no gutter of ghastly evil that you can't come back from because Jesus is alive in you. There's no abuse, there's no crime, whether you've perpetrated it or been a victim of it. There's no, there's no drugs, no alcohol, no, no disease or injury or depression or abortion or anorexia or, or, or debilitation or personality trait or family problem or trauma or relationship breakdown or marital fraying or new, there, there, there is nothing that you can't come back from because Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your investment in this world you made, for not leaving us here on our own to go back to a long night of nothing, but for showing up for Peter on the beach and for us in our lives to meet us and ask us this question, do you love me? Lord, help us to answer well. We know our answer determines how our story ends. I pray for everyone to respond like Peter did. In the name of the living Christ, we pray. Amen. 